0: As we got rolling through this week, I was fully prepared to kind of pick up where we left off on our series on temptation, and we will do that next week. But yesterday afternoon, uh, a lot of things kind of got into my thoughts and in my in my mind. Marie had sent me to uh, Dixon to get a bucket of chicken, which I'm always glad to do, because as a good Baptist, I like to eat chicken, so anytime we want to get chicken, I'm glad to go get it. But I got about halfway there. She called and told me that I needed to come home. And I could tell something was wrong. I thought maybe something was wrong with her mother. But Floyd had called and told her that Samantha was among the missing with the flood victims in uh, in Waverly. So we, uh, we took off down there. And uh, fortunately, she was okay. It was just the fact that there was no cell service, there's no internet service. You couldn't call and communicate with folks. Uh, a lot of folks, I think, that that are missing are, are part of that group. But as of last night at 8:30, there were still there were 10 people confirmed dead and 31 people still missing, just in Humphreys County in the Waverly area. And when we drove down there, I don't know how familiar you are you are with Waverly, but Waverly's gone. It, uh, they got 17 inches of rain yesterday. We, to put it into comparison, we got nine inches of rain on Saturday and nine inches of rain on Sunday in the 2010 flood. They got all 17 inches within about eight or nine hours. And so uh, for the, now the 2010 flood, the waters, the rain was more widespread, and so there was more widespread damage. But for those that got flooded yesterday, it was more water than the 2010 flood. And our house that we lived in on the Piney River, when it flooded in the twenty ten flood, it got within fifty it got fifty-seven inches high in the house. It was just a few inches short of the ceiling. And so what we did, we built a second floor onto that house to live in. We said, well, if it ever floods again, it'll never at least it won't get into the living quarters. Yesterday it got into their living quarters. Uh, it, it was way worse than it was in the twenty ten flood. So uh there's a lot of folks right now that are hurting. As uh as Roger reminded us, there's a lot going on right now in Afghanistan. Uh uh uh-huh. What where exactly is that church located underwater? That, that is uh do you know where forty eight goes through downtown Pinewood? If you're going from the interstate towards Centerville. Yeah. Yes, uh, well, it goes down but there's there's a Pinewood General Store. I'm at yes, away. right there on, if you turn left at the Pinewood General Store, you can see that church. Okay, and so uh, it is, it's that's right, right there. Where, that's where Lake's in that road. Well, you turn right to go by Hidden Valley Lake, you turn left to go by that church. And that, that road, it, that's the road that comes out to Lyles, they call it Pinewood-Lyles Road. But that church is underwater. Uh, the only thing you can see is the top of the roof. Uh, a lot going on in Afghanistan right now. We've got Americans that are trapped over there that can't uh, that can't get out. A lot of things going on with COVID. Uh, I read a if the numbers are correct, uh, week before last we had more hospitalizations in Tennessee with COVID than we've had since this whole pandemic started. And so uh, one thing I will say is that the first COVID wave hit a lot of folks, but I tell you it's this second wave has hit more people that I know. Uh, and so just, there's a lot going on right now. And so I I just, my heart hurts for these folks. I I remember what it was like in 2010 when you don't know exactly what to do next. My family and I, we were on the list for several weeks. And uh, we, we heard about this list. And we said, well, what is the list? And they said, well, we don't know. Y'all are just on the list. And, I don't know if you've ever been on the list for something. But it's a little bit unnerving when you don't know what you're on the list for. And uh, come to find out, it was the list of those that were, whether or not they were going to let us rebuild. And we were several months into, after the 2010 flood, before we finally got permission to rebuild our house. And uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty that's going on. We, when we went to file for FEMA aid, uh, the lady taking our application said, well, how long do you think, you're going to be, how long you think it'll take to rebuild your house? And very naively, we said, oh, a couple of months. It won't take more than a couple of months.
1: We were exactly
0: a year getting back. Uh, into we, we lost our home May 1st and 2nd of 2010, and we moved back in during that first week of May in 2011. So we were exactly a year uh, getting. We lived in a campground. We lived in a barn. We lived at different places. But I learned that God would take care of us. But it's still very, very disconcerting as to what, uh, how to act, what we're supposed to do, and as I was seeing all that in Waverly yesterday, uh, there's whole there's the main strip mall through Waverly where the Dollar General and the McDonald's and the Burger King and all that is that whole strip mall. The buildings are still standing, but the windows are all busted out. It's there's no electricity on. It's there are cars that are flipped upside down, and standing just straight up, and up in trees. It is just a just an unbelievable sight that you see. And there were people just wandering around. And I know that feeling because that's kind of what you do at first. Is you, you can't believe it, you know. Just You see all your stuff that you own going down the river. I had a desk that belonged to Billy Graham that, uh, when he was in seminary. Uh, that I, I don't know if I've told you that story or not, but my piano player, when I was pastor at uh, Buffalo, her brother and Billy Graham were roommates in seminary together. And so... Uh, when Billy got ready to go back to North Carolina, he gave the desk to a piano player's brother. He said, it's too expensive for me to send back. I can get me another desk cheaper than I can ship this one. Well, my piano player said, would you like it? And I said, well, yeah. You know, and so I had Billy Graham's desk for a while. I, hope, I, I kept hoping some inspiration would drip off onto me, but I don't think it did. But anyway, that, I watched that desk float down the river, and it's just kind of a, Kind of a helpless feeling when you see all of that. And so how do we do? What do we do? And how, how should we as Christians react? And there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And this has been on my uh, on my mind since yesterday uh, because you, we're going to hear it again when all this happens is we just need to be people of faith. We need to be men and women of faith. We need to have faith. Well, I got to thinking, what in the world does it mean to have faith, because a what what one person looks at is a faithful person, another person might not look that way. And and if you and I, I think everybody that's here this morning, we claim to be people of faith, don't we? We claim to be Christ followers. We we claim to be faithful people. So today's lesson's gonna be very simple. I uh, usually will take a paragraph of scripture and break it down. We're, we're not gonna do that this morning. I came up in my head with an acronym for the word faith. And an acronym is, faith is spelled F A I T H. And each letter in an acronym stands for a word. And so we're just going to look at people of faith this morning. What does that mean? And the first letter of the word faith, and the first adjective I would use to describe a, faith, uh, a person of faith, is a person who is faithful. The F would stand for faithful. Now, we come into a problem. How do you define faithful? If you go to Webster's and look up the word walker, W-A-L-K-E-R, walker. You know what the definition is? One who walks. Well, if you don't know what walk means, you don't know what a walker is, right? So you look up the word faithful in the dictionary, and it says one who is full of faith. And that's not real helpful to us, is it, when we try to come up with a discussion of what does, if you're full of faith, well, what does that mean? And so the best definition I can come up with for faith, the best, best practical definition, the Bible in Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that very simply means faith is an assurance of something that we haven't seen. For example, I'm sure Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I never saw that. I've never seen the resurrected Savior. But I've read the accounts of those who have. And I know in my heart I have faith that Jesus rose from the dead. I have faith that one of these days when I lay off this temporal body, this, this physical body that I have on earth, I have faith that I'm going to go be with the Lord forever in, in paradise and in heaven. But I don't see that, but I have faith. But now, how does that work out for us practically? What does it mean to be faithful? And can I say that the best working definition I can come up with in in my feeble brain is to be consistent in those things that we say are important. For example, I'm very faithful to take my medicine every day. If I don't take that one medicine for my heart, I can tell about an hour or so after I'm supposed to take it, my heart will start racing. If I take too much of it, it'll slow down, but I'm very faithful to take my medicine when I first wake up, especially when Marie lays it out in front of me. Now, if she doesn't do that, I might forget, but I try to be very faithful to take my medication. I try to be very faithful to put my seatbelt on uh, when I get in the car. I try to be very faithful to do different things. So the idea of faithfulness in serving the Lord is being faithful in what you're called to do, being consistent and what you were called to do. In our church here at Old New Hope, there are things that are done outside our services. There, the grass has to be cut, the, the building has to be cleaned, the light bill has to be paid, uh, the bulletins have to get printed. There, there are different things that are done, and different people do those things, don't they? They are faithful. The reason why that happens is because there's faithful people that are faithful in their tasks. So can I encourage you, if we're going to be men and women of faith, our walk needs to be consistent with our talk. You remember old Peter in the book of Matthew? Peter had decided, Jesus had just told his apostles, he says, you are all going to deny me. And he basically told them, I'm going to die. Remember what old Peter said? Peter said, not me. All these other fellows, they might deny you. But now me, I'm going to be faithful to the death. Before the day was over, the very next morning, Peter had denied Jesus three times, hadn't he? But I still consider Peter a faithful person because 50 days later, Peter very boldly presented the first gospel sermon to those same Jewish people who had crucified the Lord 50 days earlier. Peter was faithful. David was faithful. Would you consider David a faithful man? Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. He was faithful. Now, he committed adultery. He committed murder. And none of us in our, none of us would say, that's okay. But God says David was a man after his own heart. Why? Because he's faithful. He, for the most part, was consistent in following the Lord. Aren't you glad that God doesn't call us to be perfect? He calls us to be faithful. He causes us, calls us to be consistent. And that's one reason why I really believe the Bible's written by God. Because if I'd written the Bible, I wouldn't have put that bad stuff in there about David. I'd just put in there how he killed the lion and the bear and Goliath and how he was such a great psalm writer. I wouldn't have put in there about Peter denying the Lord. I'd just put in there about Peter the preacher. Peter the Bolt, God gives us, Moses. Moses was a faithful guy. But Moses had trouble too. And God tells us all of that. You know why? To let us know that people of faith sometimes stumble. But what people of faith do is they get up. And they keep on walking. And they try to be consistent with their walk and their talk. There are a lot of Christians and I use that term loosely, Christian men and women that brag about how strong and how faithful of a Christian that they are, but they live totally different Monday through Saturday than they do on Sunday when they're sitting in a church pew. Faithfulness means I live the same way outside the church house as I do inside the church house. That's a practical definition of faith. What about the A? The F stands for faithful. The A stands for available. Faithful people are available. The greatest ability that God needs from you and from me is our availability. God, during our Christian walk, is going to call us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. He's going to call us to do things that maybe we physically don't think that we are gifted for. But aren't you glad that God doesn't tell everybody they have to be a terrific preacher? I listened to Adrian Rogers preach and I don't know if y'all ever heard Adrian Rogers preach but now the guy had a golden voice. It's just that voice of his. I, I know that The Ten Commandments say don't covet your neighbor's wife. I'm pretty sure there's somewhere in the Preacher's Ten Commandments don't covet another preacher's voice because Adrian Rogers just has that voice. Uh, Charles Stanley has that voice. Uh, Different preachers just have a terrific voice to speak and they have a terrific message. But you know what I'm thankful for as a a preacher (coughs) is that God didn't call me to be Adrian Rogers. God didn't call me to be Charles Stanley. God called me to be the best Brother Andy Brother Andy could be. And aren't you glad God didn't say that everybody had to be great preachers? Everybody didn't have to have the same voice as Elvis? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad God doesn't say that in order to be able to worship me on Sunday morning, you have to be able to pass an entrance test for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? Aren't you thankful of that? You know what God's called us to do? He's called us to be available. When Moses was on the backside of the desert with those sheep that he'd been with for 40 years, God says, Moses, well first he saw, Moses saw this bush that wouldn't, it caught on fire but it wouldn't burn up. You know how usually when you see a, a bush on fire, the fire, it burns it up and then it fire goes out. Well, this fire wouldn't go out. So Moses says, huh, that's a little different. So he walks over there. And when he got right close to the bush, he heard a voice that says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. How fast do you think Moses came out of those shoes? Don't you imagine it's pretty fast? Because not only is it not every day you see a bush on fire that doesn't burn up, It's certainly not every day that a voice who knows your name out of this bush talks to you. And this voice tells Moses, Moses, I've heard my people's cry. I've determined to deliver them from Egypt. And he says, I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses basically says, right. Me? He says, I can't even talk. You surely have me mistaken for somebody else. You know what Moses told, or God told Moses? He said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I just need you to be available. Some 40 years later, when the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, the second generation of Israelites, remember the first generation, other than Joshua and Caleb, had died in the wilderness for their unbelief. The second generation was getting ready to go into the promised land, and God had called on Joshua to do it. And God told Joshua, he says, Joshua, be strong, be brave, and of good courage, for I am with you. Joshua, you be available. Remember King David? Before King David was King David, he was shepherd boy David. And there was a war going on, and David's father told David, said, son, I need you to leave the sheep. He said, I've got some food here for your brothers, and I've got some things for the army. I want you to go find out what's going on with, with the war over there. And, and so what's going on with the battle? Well, there wasn't much battle going on. But this is in 1 Samuel 17, if you want to read it. I'm not, I'm not making it up. You can read it later. But what it, what's going on when David gets there, the Israelite army is on one side of the mountain. The Philistine army was on the other side of the mountain. There was a big valley right between them, and there they were. There wasn't any fighting going on. They was kind of waiting. And every day, about the time David got there, a big, tall, nine-foot, six-inch tall Philistine came out and challenged the Israelites, saying, you Israelites, I will represent my people, the Philistines, you send out your warrior to meet me to represent the israelites and whoever wins between us that's who wins the battle well the problem was there wasn't anybody on the israelite side that was willing to go fight the battle for 40 days at the same time this guy with this goliath would come out and he would mock the israelites And I'm sure Saul was in his tent, and he had his aide there. And he says, what time is it? And he tells him, looks at the sundial, and says, it's about that time. He says, do you see him? And look in his binoculars, whatever they had for binoculars. And he said, yeah, there he is. And Saul says, I was afraid of that. And he gives his message again. Saul says, has anybody come forward? And his aide says, No, not there's not a one. Well, did you tell him that I'd give him my daughter? Yeah, we've been told him that. Would well, you tell him that whoever does this and fights this battle, that they be, could live, them and their family could live tax free for the rest of their life? Did you tell him that? Yeah, we, we told him that. Still nobody, huh? No, nobody's coming. Well, David shows up. David's about 17 years old when this happens. And David shows up and. He hears Goliath. And David says, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to talk to the armies of God about that? David says, I'll go. And David's brother, if you remember, told him, So, to you need to sit down. You're just a little shepherd boy. He said, let us men do the fighting. And I'm sure David kind of looked at his thinking in his head, I sure don't see much fighting going on. David says, I'll do it. Well, he comes to King Saul, and, and you know Saul's got to think, "Is this the best we can do? This little shepherd?" But at least it was somebody. And Saul says, "Here, you wear my, you wear my armor." Well, Scripture tells us that Saul was a head taller than anybody else in Israel. So David's a young man. Saul, so the arm, the armor, just too big for him. And David says, "I, I, I don't need this army or this armor." He said, when I took care, he goes, I don't know a lot about fighting and war, but he says, I know that as a shepherd, when a lion attacked my sheep, God gave me the strength to defeat that lion. And when a bear attacked my sheep, God gave me the strength to attack that bear. And he says, that same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear, he'll deliver me from this Philistine. David, all he had was availability, right? And he went out and he knocked this Philistine in the head with a rock and killed him. Now, what kind of great battle plan is that? that Goliath, he had a, a sword, the spear of Goliath. The head of that spear weighed fifteen pounds. He had an armor bearer. He had all of these things. What kind of battle plan? Saul, so, David, what are you going to take to battle? I'm going to take a rock. Turns out a rock's all he needed, amen, because he was available. Faithful people, faithful men and women of God, men and women of faith, first they're faithful, then they're available. And then the I in faith is interdependent. That's a big fancy word that means we depend on each other. We as Christians are not independent. Men and women of faith are not independent. We are interdependent, aren't we? We depend on each other. There's a lot of people that are out in our world right now that need our help. And we need, if nothing else, just to let them know they're not alone. That we care about them. We can take a bottle of water to them. We can take clothes to them. We can do whatever it is that needs doing. A friend of mine is pastor of Hope Church in Centerville. He also owns Papa K. Barbecue. This morning, he has turned Papa K. Joe's barbecue into a drop-off point for water and clothes or whatever people want to bring. And he put on Facebook, he said, this is our worship service this morning. And is that not worship? Is not caring for those that need help worship? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable Service, the King James and New King James says. But that word can also be translated worship. When we help other people, we are worshiping. We need one another. Aren't you glad you don't have to go through this life by yourself? I want you to go back in your mind to the deepest, darkest memory you can think of. And then ask yourself this question. What would happen if you had to face that memory alone? And maybe you did. I I, I don't know. But aren't you thankful that you're not alone? Aren't you thankful you have other brothers and sisters in Christ that love you and care for you? Aren't you glad that God has put people around us to watch out for one another? We need each other. There are folks that need us, and guess what? There's going to come a time and place where we are going to need others. Two things here. Let's not be too self-serving to go help folks. But let's also not be so selfish to not ask for help when we need it. Back during the 2010 flood, so many people came from all over helping us. We had, there were Pentecostal groups and Methodist groups and a Mennonite group pretty much rebuilt our house. But I remember during the first days of the flood, uh, one of the deacons from the church there in Pinewood, he says, Brother Andy, do you need anything? I said, no, I think we're doing all right. And he, he looked me right in the eye. I'll never forget this. And he put his arm around my shoulder. He said, Brother Andy, he said, will you let us. He said, don't keep us from getting our blessing. From helping you. He said, you're keeping me from my blessing. I want to help. I said, well now that you mentioned it, I had a whole list of stuff I needed, you know. But why is it we have to say, I'll just do it myself. We feel the need to do that. Like We have to prove something. Y'all, there's nothing we need to prove. We don't need to be so big. We don't give help and offer help. We don't need to be so small that we don't think we're worthy to ask for help. He gave us Jesus, and none of us are Him anyway, right? The rest of us are somewhere down that scale. We're there to help and help each other. A man and a woman is faithful, they are available, they are interdependent with one another. I had a hard time with T. I struggled between two different adjectives. The first one I thought of was teachable. And as faithful people, we ought to be teachable, right? We never need to think, well, I know everything. I know all there is to know. But the word that came to my heart, that's laid on my heart with the specific situation that's going on in our world right now Christians and men and women of faith need to be thankful people, don't we? Do we realize that every breath we take is a gift from God? Just that little lesson yesterday reminded me how quickly our lives could be snuffed out. And I'm so thankful for our family, it was a false alarm. But there are so many families this morning that it was not a false alarm. Their loved ones are either confirmed dead or are missing man, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful we have a roof over our heads. We need to be thankful we have a church building to meet in that right now the government's leaving us alone, letting us meet. The church leaders in Afghanistan, we've heard from some of them, and they have asked people to post on Facebook and social media to pray for them. I did not realize this, but did you know people-wise Afghanistan is one of the largest churches in the world. We don't hear that because of the Muslim influence in that area. There are a lot of Christians in Afghanistan. And the Taliban has sent the church leaders' letters saying, we know who you are, and we're coming for you. And the message that they sent out to us and to the rest of the Christian world is to pray for them. They said, because we are going to meet, and more than likely, we are going to die. How thankful are we that we can come to church? And we don't have to say that we don't have to worry about the government coming and chaining these doors where we can't get out and set the building on fire, or when we walk out the door, being there with machine guns to mow us all down as we come through the doors, just because we praise God. How thankful are we that we have clothes on our back? How thankful are we that we have food in our pantries? And most of us have plenty of food. Men and women of faith are thankful. (coughs) I've tried to make it a habit, and I don't do it every morning, but I try to do it every morning. Before all my feet ever hit the ground, to say, Lord, thank you for waking me up today. Use me today however you want to use me to do your will men and women of faith are thankful. They're teachable, but they're also thankful. And then we get to the H, and I struggle with adjectives here too, and the first one I thought of was holy. Men and women of faith are holy, and we should be. But that kind of goes along with being faithful. The H word I came up with that I want to talk a little bit about is men and women of faith are helpful. Uh, We all know men and women who claim to be Christians that we really couldn't say they were helpful. They're not real helpful when it comes to telling others about Jesus. They're not real helpful when it comes to meeting a need that needs to be met. James talks about these kind of people. They're the kind of people who see someone who is cold, they'll say, brother, I hope you get a cold. I'm praying for you. They don't give them a cold. They see somebody that's hungry, Brother, I hope that you get plenty of food. I'll be praying for you. We use that, and I'm going to get on the soapbox just for a minute. Okay, I'm there. We use that phrase, I'm praying for you. Are we really? Do we really pray for those folks we say we're going to pray for? I've also started another habit. If I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them, if I can't, the first thing I'll try to do is let's pray right now. I will pray for you. Matter of fact, let's pray. But if I'm in a situation where I can't, right as I'm saying, I'll pray for you, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm praying for them right then so I can say, I've prayed for you. and It's actually being helpful. You say, there's not a lot I can do. I'm old. I'm, I'm weak. I'm feeble. How many of us have ears where we can listen? To somebody that just needs to talk and tell them tell you what's on their mind how many of us have a shoulder that somebody can lean on because I can tell you what going through what we went through with the 2010 flood these folks that have been flooded out right now they they don't even know what most of them probably you could they could tell you what day it is they don't know for sure where their next meals coming from they don't know for sure some of them where they're going to sleep tonight Can't we be helpful? Isn't there something we can do? Can't the church go be the church? And I remember the 2010 flood. After things kind of got organized and everybody kind of got on their feet a little bit, Centerville did a terrific job in taking care of those of us who were flooded out. There was one church you could go and get food. There was another church you could go and get clothes. There's another church you could go and get cleaning supplies. And we knew where we... It took a few days to get there. Right now, people just need to know that there's somebody there that cares about them. There's somebody there that cares what happens to them. There's somebody that's willing to say, can I go to McDonald's and buy you a hamburger? Can I go buy you a can of Spam? True story. We went for about three days. You couldn't get out of our little valley where we lived because all the roads were blocked. And so we were kind of stuck eating what we had to eat. And uh, crackers and tuna fish gets pretty old when you eat three meals a day for several days. And I'll never forget, I'll remember this as long as I have some semblance of a mind. Uh, our neighbor finally, uh, Hannah, uh, or Hannah's Stephanie sister, David and Teresa Redman, they, they we got to where we could get up the road a little bit. He, they said, we've got a bedroom you guys can stay in, and why don't you come over for supper tonight? And so we went over there to eat, and they said, we're sorry we don't have any electricity. I do have our hunting stove, and so they were cooking on that Coleman stove, and he fixed us a supper of fried potatoes, and... Fried bologna. And I'm here to say in 57 years of living, that's the best meal I've ever eaten. And it's not because it was five-star cuisine. It was because there was a family that cared about where we were and was willing to give us the help we needed. Being men and women of faith, we're faithful. We're available. We're interdependent. We need each other. We're thankful, and we're helpful. The question comes down to this. Are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? We have an opportunity to, to help others. And, and I don't know where we're going to be needed, but very soon requests are going to be made of our church. And As a church, we need to step up, right? We need to step up and be the church to those these folks that are hurting. I'll never forget this either. The Red Cross was helping us in Pinewood when we were flooded. The church where I was pastoring in Buffalo, we were a sheltering point for the Red Cross. Their folks were sleeping on our pews, and they were using our fellowship hall as a place to sleep. So I was getting help from Red Cross on one end, and I was pastoring a church that was giving help, on the other end, there, there's going to be opportunities we're going to have, and as I find those out, I'll share with you. And uh, let's see what we can do. This church does a terrific job helping with Operation Christmas Child, the Grace Works ministry that we do. We're givers, and uh, we have another. Oppor- we're going to have another opportunity to do that. And I just wanted to share with you what was on my heart about being men and women of faith, and about people that are hurting right now in need. Uh, need an arm, need a shoulder to, Somebody that cares Let's go be that Let's be thankful, let's be helpful Let's be available And let's do what God's called us to do Let's bow Our Father in heaven Thank you for loving us Thank you for giving us Jesus Christ To give us our eternal hope And to give us a Platform to stand On our faith I just lift up these people that are hurting today. I pray, Father, that you would be with them. Let them know that you are there. Let them know that there are people who care, and I pray we would be those people. (coughs) I pray that you would lay on our heart a burden to help and help us know where we can help so that we can help point people to Jesus, Father. Right now, at this time, we have an opportunity to touch people We might not have an opportunity at any other time, and and I pray that we would do that. I pray that you would make us available.